This podcast was made with Descript. Descript is a groundbreaking new media tool that allows creators to edit audio and video like a text document and create a realistic clone of their own voice for seamless edits. Please check out our Patreon at Asian Hustle Network. We want Asians to continue being meaningful and give back to the Asian community. If you enjoy our podcast and would like to contribute to our feature, we hope you become a patron. Hey guys, welcome to the Asian Hustle Network podcast. My name is Brian. And my name is Maggie. And we interview Asian entrepreneurs around the world to amplify their voices and empower Asians to pursue their dreams and goals. We believe that each person has a message and a unique story from their entrepreneurial journey that they can share with all of us. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Asian Hustle Network podcast. My name is Maggie. My name is Brian. And today we have a very special guest on today's episode. His name is Edwin Wong, and he is the Senior Vice President of Media Insights and Innovation at Vox Media. He was most recently at BuzzFeed as the Senior Vice President of Research and Insights, where he led audience insights, product insights, ad effectiveness, and played an active role as a thought leader in the industry. Um, Edwin has dedicated the last 15 plus years of his career to studying digital consumer behavior, particularly in previous roles at Pinterest, Vio, and Yahoo. Edwin, welcome to the show. How's it going, guys? Yeah, we're super excited to have you today. Usually for our podcast, we talk a little bit more about your background, your upbringing. We want to hear a lot more of that, you know, because you're such an LA native. We want to hear about how you grew up in LA. Uh, yeah, it's uh, it's it was a it's been a long journey, um, and uh, I actually grew up in Highland Park, mm-hmm. uh, which is really close to East LA. Uh, mm-hmm. What's really funny is I've got a lot of friends now who uh, hang out at bars and eat at nice restaurants, and are like, "Have you been to Highland Park recently?" And I used to joke that back back in the day uh, when I was actually living there. Uh, the, the only bars that we used to talk about were jail bars. It was a pretty rough area. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, it, was, it was a really good place to grow up because I was um, a minority amongst minorities. Mm-hmm. And so um, my dad, you know, he was a baker and we owned a bakery in Lincoln Heights. Mm-hmm. And um, I really uh, enjoyed um, all the things that you learn. It was not always a pleasant experience to grow up in Highland Park, but just mm-hmm. the ability to learn how to survive and learn how to um, thrive in, in a place that sure you are a minority amongst minorities. I think it's been a really good uh, thing for, for how I've actually built my career and how I actually look at life too. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That's awesome. And so would you say, you know, you grew up in a pretty traditional Asian household, you know, did your parents have, um, you know, a specific set of plans for you? Like, did they have, you know, um, a preference of what kind of industry you wanted to go in and, you know, talk about, talk a little bit about, you know, maybe like your siblings. Do you have any siblings and did they have plans for them too? Mm-hmm. Yeah, my uh, siblings, I have three sisters. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was, that's always been great because they taught me how to be a gentleman. Mm-hmm. And uh, they are always, um, all three of them are much smarter than I am. And so they were great role models for me. Um, what was uh, really fantastic is my parents, my parents were pretty traditional in the sense that we all played instruments. We were all um, studying really hard and, and grades really were important. What was a surprising thing is as we started college, uh, it was very traditional, like, are you going to be a doctor or a lawyer of some sort? Mm-hmm. And as my um, sisters started to get out of school, 
they, they took some tra uh, non-traditional paths in terms of their careers. And when I started going, I was, I was third in line. My, my dad was, was pretty chill about what I was uh -huh. going to do. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I remember that he kind of didn't have a choice because <laughs> while my parents would have wanted me to be a doctor, after my first chemistry test and all my college buddies would laugh about this, mm -hmm. I, knew, I knew my dreams were over. <laughs> it was done. I was not going to med school and I was not great. And so I realized very quickly that I'd have to figure out another path to kind of get to where I got to, which, uh, which is, you know, I chose psychology of all things. Mm -hmm. Well, that's amazing. I mean, what, what initially start, like, like started your interest in media? Because you, you're such a, you're so knowledgeable in this field, you know, how did you get started into media? And what was that early part of your career like? What was interesting is that the, how non-traditional your career arc is actually going to be. Mm -hmm. um, I always liked understanding people. I think essentially because I was in a minority community that wasn't a majority Asian, it was actually um, about 80% Hispanic. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Learning how to get by, learning how cultures work, mm -hmm. microcultures, subcultures work, was a really important part of just being alive and getting right. by. And so I really found that, you know, even going to Pomona College when um, the, the ethnic makeup was just very different, mm -hmm. you really had to refigure out a lot of things. And so I really liked looking at consumer behavior or just people behavior mm -hmm. in general. And so as I started to pay attention to the things I love, um, I, I was inspired by professors. I was inspired by my intro to psych class. And so I just went with it. Mm -hmm. I studied um, perception, cognition, uh, and also industrial organizational psychology, which is the application of psychology and how to optimize workforce. Mm -hmm. And I thought, wow, the way we process information mm -hmm. mentally, uh, psychologically, um, cognitively has such an impact of how we connect with things, mm -hmm. and stimulus, and, and you can actually think about how people react and how it might impact the way they work. And mm -hmm. I started to go, wow, there's so many applications to understanding these structures mm -hmm. that help you in business. And so that turned into, you know, a lot of uh, interesting lab work that I was able to do. And so I was um, afforded a couple of opportunities to be the, the, the person that did a lot of the research under um, some really great professors um, around um, you know, several studies at Pomona, and I just started to flourish and, and grow in that area. And so that, that desire to understand people is what actually kind of got me to, to this, this job. But, you know, even, even still, like the actual path was not always straight. Mm -hmm. Like when I was a psych major, most people, they probably know that there's not a lot of jobs after college. And so... Mm -hmm. I totally remember getting out of school and all of my friends were way smarter than me. They went into the big, big five consulting firm. They went to law school or med school. A couple of my friends actually went to post-grad at Oxford mm -hmm. and they were like, what are you doing, Edwin? And I ended up uh, working at J crew nice. <laughs> and, uh, and, and, and I was like a paralegal secretary type person that totally not a paralegal, just like a, I work at the LA athletic club for, um, this this gentleman, his name is Mr. Michelson, mm -hmm. uh, and we and that's what I did. And so it's just so crazy that 
you know, I, I tell the story all the time. My favorite story, and this left me, left such an impression on me is, um, I, we, ha we had these parties that we would actually do because the LA Athletic Club was a club for like the Lakers and all these other really uh, famous stars at the time, mm -hmm. back 20 something years ago. And I was licking stamps and getting invitations ready. Wow. Oh, wow. And uh, I didn't do it right. And so the stamps were crooked and, and the tape was off. And I brought like 200 envelopes to, uh, to Mr. Michaels and he looked at them and he, he threw them away. Oh, wow. He basically yelled at me and said, um, everything you do symbolizes and represents you. And this tells me you're not put together. And this actually represents my club. Uh -huh. And that, that lesson actually stayed about how the details matter. Mm -hmm. Right. And that fundamentally changed. And at J. Crew, uh, one of my favorite stories was uh, I was walking with a regional manager and I was talking about Glenn Platt shirts because I love dress shirts and I love uh, mm -hmm. dressing up. Uh -huh. um, and he didn't know what a Glenn Platt was. And I was like, <laughs> hey, you're a regional manager. Shouldn't you do your own inventory? And it taught me that even to this day, sometimes the youngest of people you work with, they just know so much more than you. And so listen and become an expert. And so, you know, that, 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 those two things, while they were my first job, mm -hmm. they shaped the, the foundation and the character mm -hmm. that I, I, you know, the, that would I think follow me for the next 20 some odd years. And, you know, how I made my way back into this role is uh, the first real job was really with a brand consultancy that was a startup and it was wonderful. Uh, a, a mentor of mine literally just said, Hey, I know you're struggling a little bit. Maybe you're not going to make it to the big time working at J crew. Really think about applying psychology to business. Here's something called market research. And from there I went from Holland partners to Yahoo from Yahoo to Rio. And you know, I, I'm, I sit where I sit right now. Wow, that's that's a really awesome story. It's really uh, really nice to hear too that you know you did learn from your mistake mm -hmm. when you're younger, and I do agree with that statement too. I always felt like how you do one thing is how you do everything, you know. And a part of success is doing small things every day and doing really well until it compounds with each other and you start mm -hmm. seeing big results. You know, mm -hmm. it starts building deep into your character. Yeah. So I really like that that part of your advice and to hear more stories about you know marketing and how do you apply that to your your profession right now it's it's pretty amazing to me to hear because i feel like right now i work with a lot of marketers and a lot of them are psychology majors you know and it's at the time i'm pretty sure it wasn't that applicable like how can i apply this how can i apply that but looking more into it i always felt like marketing was very emotionally tied mm -hmm. you know and the way that you form your identity for your product or whatever mission you're trying to do it's extremely important yeah. Yeah. And that's a great segue to kind of like dive deeper into your expertise at within marketing, you know, and then we, Maggie and I had the opportunity to, uh, to look into some of your speeches before and we're super amazed by the level of detail of explanation you give to your audience. And we want to hear a little more about like distribution and, you know, especially during your time at, at Buzzfeed, like how, how did how was the distribution strategy like in terms of like um, growing the brand so quickly? You know, I think within ten years, you guys are rivaling other firms out there who's been there for thirty, forty, fifty years. Like, what kind of strategies did you come up with in terms of distribution? 
the interesting thing is that um, Jonah Peretti uh, continues to be a visionary, um, mm -hmm. just a really great leader. And, you know, back in the early 2013, 2014, even at South by when he talked about the fact that uh, dis distributed media networks and going where the eyeballs are is how you need to actually play this game for that time. Mm -hmm. And, you know, one thing that, um, he, that was actually said by someone at Buzzfeed is that while content is king, distribution is queen mm -hmm. and she wears the pants. And so mm -hmm. what's interesting about that is, you know, the, the pipes or the platforms is, is where much of, uh, what, actually is controlled in terms of yeah. where where this content actually gets to the actual consumer. Right. Um, where I think there is an interesting difference is the quality of the water. Mm -hmm. what, what, what is actually getting to that consumer in terms of mm -hmm. what it is? And so back, back at BuzzFeed, there was an interesting strategy around um, Clay Christensen's jobs to be done, where you can't just think about getting content to the consumer, but making it have a purpose that's much more meaningful. Mm -hmm. What's so interesting about the way they philosophically thought about content is um, what it actually stood for and how it actually defined the consumer. And mm -hmm. even um, some of the interesting uh, discoveries that came about through experimentation. If you think about the mobile device, I think there are several studies that Facebook has actually done that suggest that you spend about one second or about 1.2 seconds on a piece of content. Mm -hmm. It's probably shorter now these days, but, yeah. um, mm -hmm. but what's interesting is within that feed environment, um, how do you get someone to stop and process even information? And so mm -hmm. one thing BuzzFeed used to talk about is this concept of frames. Like mm -hmm. you, you might not, just like speed reading, you understand a frame, right. mm -hmm. you replace two words. And so if you're gonna do a quiz and you replace just one word, I understand the frame and mm -hmm. I subconsciously understand the concept, but this time it's about Disney princesses while next time it's about what kind of clean freak you are. And so that actually helps with not just the perceptual understanding of what you're reading, but also it goes with the actual consumption of what's happening on the device. Now, the, the interesting thing is as an insights professional and someone who looks at marketing, you can't stand still either yeah. because that's going to change. Like what's happened in 2014 and 2016, it's going to look very different in 2020. Right. And so even understanding what TikTok looks like today and why that consumption is actually a thing, I think mm -hmm. is very important. How digital is actually changing. Uh, and so, you know, what's, what's been really great about doing this job is you're never bored because people are continuously changing. And I think that that's, that's the one most wonderful thing about research because you have to go into it for just knowing you don't know it. Mm -hmm. Knowing that on, a, on the flip of a switch, people are gonna change because of what they're reacting to. And if you're not on it, you're gonna miss the trend and you're gonna miss the insight. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's very true. And, you know, going back to your original statement, I think that it's important to note also like putting out content 
one person might view it in a different way that another person might view it, right? And it really depends on, you know, your background and your, your experiences and how you're able to perceive that content. Mm -hmm. So making, you know, those little changes and making sure that, you know, everyone is having the right perception and, you know, making sure that it's not getting lost in translation. Mm -hmm. I think that's very important. And, you know, there's so many new platforms right now, mm -hmm. you know, with TikTok, as you mentioned, and all of this new content, these new algorithms with each of those, con with each of those platforms, how are you guys able to catch up with, you know, all of this new technology and making sure that you guys are delivering that content to your audience? Um, you know, there's, I'm sure there's going to be a, a new con new platform after TikTok, right? Mm -hmm. We're always evolving. And so how are you guys, you know, keeping up with all of that media, all of that content? What I think is most interesting is understanding the mission and the moment um, right now. Uh, at Vox Media, what's, what's been uh, really uh, fruitful for me is I've had some really cool experiences across several companies and my I always talk about how I think the first phase of um, the internet was obviously in the early 2000s, it was all around organization. And so you had the GeoCities and you've got the Yahoo directory come to play. The second phase was all around direction. There's so much in the directory, I needed search to basically help guide that organization. And so, you know, you continue to see the bifurcation of search, whether it's Yelp, or LinkedIn, I need a person, uh, Angie's List. And you know, so you will go from organization to direction. The third phase was really about this concept of connection. And so the social plumbing and the platforms were built, You've got the ultimate word of mouth marketing, thanks to Facebook and Instagram. The next phase in my mind is all about this concept of activation. And when I went to Pinterest back in 2000, and, uh, gosh, I don't even remember when I actually left for there, 2010, I believe. Mm -hmm. um, what was interesting about the, uh, oh, sorry, 2015. Um, what was interesting about that is it was a place of ideas and the way I actually made those ideas come to life, that continues to persist even till now. Mm -hmm. If you think about what's happening in this space and in this moment, COVID-19, Black Lives Matter movement, we are in a space that demands for understanding. I don't know what is going on. Like, what is the government doing? How do I understand what a pandemic is? How do I open up a restaurant again? Which restaurants are open? Yeah. Um, how do I think about Animal Crossing when it comes to Polygon because I'm sheltering in place? Um, how do I think about systematic racism? Mm -hmm. And how, how, how can I actually uh, think about those things to do change, to, to be a part of change? Mm -hmm. That in it is, is the most critical. And so that activation is what I think is next for all digital experiences, especially in a time when the consumer believes that their physical and digital life is one in the same. And so I, I believe that instead of chasing algorithms, which we don't want to do, mm -hmm. what we want to do is build better civic society and we want to build understanding. And so the, the great thing is, really understanding the reason why you exist as a network or as a digital experience and applying mm -hmm. that with authenticity and with power, right. the algorithms will follow. People will follow your content. And, you know, we see it. We saw a huge surge in engagement with all sorts of our traffic 
uh, across our network, whether it was New York Magazine, whether it was Polygon, which covers, you know, video games, and obviously with, you know, some of the things that we're putting out there uh, for Vox News. And so um, it, I think it's because there's that mission-driven uh, sort of way that we think about storytelling and journalism that's really pushing uh, what consumers want from us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, that's that's really awesome to hear. Yeah. And I, I think we absolutely agree. Like mm-hmm. there's, especially given the pandemic stuff, like there hasn't been much distinction to my online life, my real life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> In fact, I'm living more on my online life, <laughs> you know? <laughs> So I think it's great to even mention like an activation concept. Just mm-hmm. to me, that sounds a lot like a call to action type of thing. Mm-hmm. I think that if you tweak your words around with your marketing strategies, to be like, hey, this is our call to actions for you to be, feel like you're involved with this community, which is a big thing with, I feel like with marketing, by the way, just have a sense of community, a sense of identity, mm-hmm. that where you belong to some place, it really matters a lot. Mm-hmm. And for us, Maggie and I, we don't consider ourselves expert or professional marketers in any sense or any way. But even with starting Asian Hustle Network, um, for our identity, we just wanted to bring together an Asian community that really uplifts each other and shares each other's story. Mm-hmm. Um, what we found before was, you know, as we're looking, even before Asian Hustle Network, for a community that we want to belong to, we couldn't find one. And in fact, uh, Maggie's Chinese, I'm Vietnamese. We found a lot of different Chinese, Vietnamese, Japanese, Korean communities out there, but there's never one together that sh- like, well, we can share our story, you know? Mm-hmm. And for us, our identity is what our parents went through to give us the lives that we are today. Mm-hmm. You know, even hearing your story at the very beginning too, where your dad owned a bakery in Highland Park. You know, my dad owns an appliance store in Pasadena. And similar stories, we'll probably have like very similar stories about us growing up, parents taught us about traditional path, what's most important, you know, but and at the end of the day, they all made sacrifices to get us where we are today. Mm-hmm. You know, and going back to like, ident- like, uh, like being authentic and having an identity is extremely important right now because if you think about it, a lot of people are spending a lot of time on social media. So they're kind of jaded to like all these quote unquote scam looking posts out there. And they're like, wait a minute, this doesn't even sound real at all. <laughs> you know? and, you, and you have an authentic um, point of view to your material. It creates a sense of, hey, I belong here and it makes them jog their memories too and have flashbacks of moments that they can relate to that story, you know, mm-hmm. which I feel like it's, it's super important. Um, in terms of authentic, like in terms of being authentic right now in marketing, do you feel like material that you put out there, there should be high quality content or it should be more like, like not as high quality, but has a more emotional tie and story to it. What do you feel is more important right now? The one thing that we're, starting to recognize is that you know we wrote a piece around black lives matter movement where Mm -hmm. purpose needs to morph into justice Mm -hmm. Um, and you know it's not really just about saying more but it's really about meaning more and if you want to mean more you actually have to do more to be more and that, that's a way that I've actually been thinking about how for brands to stay on the sidelines and not really um, authentically take on making civic society better, they're right. going to falter because especially amongst the younger consumer, um, you guys have more of a conscience. <laughs> <laughs> and... Uh, 
are just making better choices for society, which I appreciate so much. And so, you know, the, the quality of content matters probably less than doing it for the right reason. Yeah. You know? And I don't think people can, I don't think marketers should be staying on the sidelines if they know that what they're trying to fight for is for like good, good civic society yeah. and humanity. I don't think they should because who, who, who would want to argue against that? Yeah. Yeah. I think in, in today's society, there is that gray area, right? Like if I say something, you know, not everyone is going to agree mm-hmm. or if I don't say something, you know, I'm going to get backlash for it. But I always do believe, you know, you should say something rather than not. But on top of that, like you mentioned, on top of saying something, you do have to do something, right? And, you know, if you are leading a community, think about like, how are you using your powers for good? Or, you know, how are you using and collaborating with people of influence to make sure that they're fulfilling their civic duty, right? And so, you know, on top of just talking about it, just like taking action and making sure that you are fulfilling that civic duty. Yeah. Definitely agree. Yeah. So, I mean, we have seen, you know, a bunch of videos of you and the, you know, speeches that you have given, um, you know, while you were at BuzzFeed and, you know, we watched that Asian identity video and that pulled on both of our heartstrings. Maggie was crying her eyes out <laughs> I 15 was, minutes before this call. I, I was crying. Maybe that's why my eyes are so puffy, but, <laughs> but, you know, just to give our listeners some context, you know, there was this video that came out from BuzzFeed um, and Edwin had done an incredible speech on it. um, And it was about, you know, Asian identity and how we identify ourselves as Asians in America or anywhere in the world. And what would be the one thing that you would want to say to your parents today, right? Your Asian parents today. And it really just touched my heart because it thought, I thought about like the things that I wanted to say to my parents. Um, and I think it's really important for people, especially non-Asians to look inside, look into our culture and see the struggles and the challenges that we faced as um, Asian immigrants and for our Asian parents as well. And I'm very curious, you know, based on your experience at BuzzFeed, um, you know, and just media in general, how do you think today's media is shaping the way people are viewing Asian culture today? You know, Mm -hmm. and going back to media back then when, you know, Asians just had roles as like a doctor or like a store owner or the cleaner or something like that. Mm -hmm. Times have changed a little bit now, um, but still it's, it's considered a very uh, rare case where we take on a lead role in a movie or media in general. And so what is your take on that? And do you think we're moving too slow or at the right pace or what's your general perception on that? It's been interesting how quickly institutional um, frameworks are changing so rapidly Mm -hmm. uh, in such a short amount of time. Um, Why I'm, why I think it's the, just even about a year and a half ago after Crazy Rich Asians, you were starting to see that uh, a movie starring all Asians um, could actually be a blockbuster hit. I'm starting to see and feel confident that that Hollywood sees that there is really good money if you can actually do um, Asian things with Asian people. And so, you know, part of it is 
you're starting to see that change. Has it been fast enough? I, no, I don't think it's been fast enough. But is there progress? The answer is yes. And you know, my, my hope is that even some of the things that we've seen in the last couple of weeks for, for Bucks, when, when a character is being played by someone who isn't, um, actors and actresses are now stepping aside to say, let's actually let that happen. And I would expect that the same is going to come to fruition for Asian characters or people that should be Asian, you know, are going to be playing Asian characters in Asian stories. And so, and, and the interesting thing is that as society becomes more diverse in the U.S., we're going to start to see the celebration of, of in more interesting stories. Right. I think what's been happening because uh, the internet exists and there's definitely a proliferation of streaming um, services. The, the stories that will be financed in the future are going to be um, a, a, lot, a lot more culturally appropriate and uh, a lot more different. And so I'm excited about um, what's to come for us. Uh, it's not fast enough, but it, at least it's, it's coming. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I also feel like it's a huge factor in us growing up right now, too, mm-hmm. and even for yourself, Edwin. There's a sense of pride with where we came from. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think growing up, there was a lot of, uh, I guess in my situation, there was a lot of shame, shaming towards my Asian culture. Mm-hmm. So, like, what are you bringing that Asian snack to school? It smells weird, or what are you eating that? That looks weird, you know? I think a lot of us right now, we're only up to who we are, you know. We're like, hey, why was I used? Why did I used to be so ashamed about being Asian or being Vietnamese or being Chinese? But now it's like I feel a sense of pride, you know. And I feel like that's affecting all of us. You know? mm-hmm. kind of see it with, you know, the the type of content that we're consuming. You know, we kind of see it with the type of products we're consuming. In fact, a lot of like these bigger companies are now looking at Asians in general and our consuming, consuming habits because, you know, we are um, substantially growing our income group tremendously in the United States, you know, so we are a force. But it, it's pretty amazing to, like, see, like, us owning up to who we are and compared to before. When we were younger, we kind of be we were a little bit ashamed of who we're, we're Asian, especially when, especially when you grew around friends, grew up around friends who aren't Asian or, like, you can't really see that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, based upon like people owning up to your heritage, have, have, have you personally for yourself, have you seen companies that you work for started tailoring content for the Asian community to really target the emotional side and heritage side? We've seen this a lot in Adidas and, and even Nike with their last commercial with the, with the Chinese New Year's, with the, with the shoes running and, you know, just targeting their target audience towards the Asian crowd. Like, have you seen companies that you work for start doing the same thing? Uh, I think back, back, back at, at uh, BuzzFeed, there, there were a lot of really awesome uh, Asian creators and producers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, worth it. I mean, Steven, when that guy is just, he's, he's, he was amazing. He's, he's actually a personal friend, and I, I really appreciate what he did. It, it was just that he was Asian, but he had a great idea. It had nothing to do with, you know, his ethnicity. Um, and, and I think there was some really cool coverage, which is it's all about discovery of food and culture. It's like this is what, you know, people are going to try to 
really expose um, new consumers to um, to food. Um, I also think that you know even at Vox today, the the coverage uh, around what's happening for Asians, uh, especially in a time of COVID, some of the really horrible things that are happening because of um, some of the things that have been uh, said by our government about this about COVID. Um, some of the violence, uh, the increase in, in violence against Asians, like covering those stories, I think yeah. is incredibly important. And so um, those are choices that the newsroom, they need to make to, to basically do those stories. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I see that those choices are being made in companies that I feel lucky mm-hmm. to work for and work Definitely. with. You know, I, I think it's because the editorial leadership really believes in uh, not just creating a, a better, more accurate environment for Asians, but for all mm-hmm. of them. Right. Definitely. Yeah. Have, you, have you felt like any point in your life, I mean, like, I guess my question is, like, do you feel like any point in your career that you felt like Asian wasn't well represented in any way? Um, you know, you worked in media for the past, you know, X number of years now. And just going through this entire process, like, how have you, like, felt personally about Asians being represented in media? Mm-hmm. Having worked in several uh, companies and several media sales organizations, there's kind of not a lot of us uh, represented. Um, and I think it has a lot to do with exposure. Mm-hmm. Um, part of what is important about my role and mentoring young Asians in media is that mm-hmm. it's a great career. Yeah. And there's a lot going on here that I want other young Asians to say like, oh, I might not want to be a doctor or a lawyer. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I was not the greatest at math, so I totally uh, don't fit that stereotype. And so... Mm-hmm. You know, being being in marketing, being in data and analytics, that's a, uh, that that's it's a, it's a wonderful career. And so, the, to answer your question, yeah, there there definitely wasn't a lot of representation of Asians in media, mm-hmm. um, and there continues to not be that many. And so, part of again uh, being a minority person in a large group has mm-hmm. actually been one of my superpowers. I think that it actually allows me to function and, and, and hopefully thrive in these places. And it, it's going to be really important for people that are a little bit older like me to take folks under their wing to make sure they succeed, to make sure they know that there's a path, that someone like me who's, you know, can, can succeed, I can actually show show those same people and pave the way for them as well. I think that's an incredibly important part of my journey and, and has to be because I want to see a greater representation of Asians in the space. Definitely. Yeah, that's amazing. I love that you're taking that opportunity and seeing it as an opportunity because, you know, Asians are definitely underrepresented in many areas and in many fields, you know, especially media. Um, and I think it's it's get, it gets discouraging to some people but mm-hmm. I love that you are taking that opportunity to really use your voice and pave the way for media. Um, and so I'd love to know, you know, more about your transition to Vox Media and, you know, how that opportunity came about. Um, and what kind of differences did you see, you know, 
between Vox Media and the other organizations that you have worked with, you know, Yahoo, uh, VO, um, BuzzFeed? Um, and, you know, what kind of ways are you guys using at uh, Vox Media to use, you know, data-driven information and just like thought-provoking ideas to really capture the audience's attention? What's been great is that I have a deep love and understand, uh, deep, deep love for the brands at, at, mm -hmm. at Vox. Vox News is, is uh, one that comes to mind. And I think even as you're starting to see what's been happening around COVID-19 and Black Lives Matter movement, yeah. we pride ourselves in talking about helping you understand the news. And mm -hmm. I think what's been interesting about being in the news space is while most marketers talk about brand safety concerns or polarization, mm -hmm. I thoroughly believe our take on it is that, you know, understanding will become this generation's currency. There's mm -hmm. so much that's complicated right now that understanding is going to help you make the right choices. Like yeah. what I should do when I, uh, what, what is COVID? How do I get over it? Yeah, when yeah. should I, when should I come back up for air and start living my life again? When should I travel? Like all of those really tough questions. What is the government policy around it? Mm -hmm. That I think is an incredibly important place that Vox is going to be playing. Um, and so that's, that's actually been really fun. And, and, you know, even one of the things that I've always loved is chasing um, and learning about new mediums. Mm -hmm. Podcasts as an example, which we do a lot of. I love Pivot. I love a lot of the SB Nation podcasts. I love the Ringer podcasts that um, were a part of mm -hmm. um, uh, when we were working closer together. Um, mm -hmm. What's interesting about that is it's not just uh, a new medium, uh, as you will. It's a response to what is happening right now. Mm -hmm. um, in, in the last study that I just completed, I talk about Marshall McLuhan and how he talks about the media um, being a message. And what's interesting is that we've spent the last two decades in this ephemeral, you know, timeline-chasing way of connecting with content yeah. that has created what I'm calling digital diabetes. It spikes and then it goes away and then you uh -huh. go to the next sugar high. Yeah. Whereas if you think about what podcasts like this is doing, yeah. it's an intimate connection to voices that ultimately leads to self-actualization of the consumer. And so you go from this sugar high to a medium that builds slowly and mm -hmm. actually makes you better. That is connecting you from everyone, whereas podcast is really about the self. So having a clear perspective of why media changes and why it evolves, it makes me excited to go to new places because at every company, they're doing those new things for a reason. And if you're able to actually start to talk about why, mm -hmm. then you help marketers go, oh, that's the opportunity. That's what's so exciting about what you're doing. And so, you know, if, if, if we're successful in data and analytics and really helping Vox craft this idea that it's really about understanding, understanding breeds context. Context breeds action and yeah. builds a better civic society through all of these ways that you can connect with the consumer. And I think that we've done our job in insights. We've actually, you know, bridged what we were supposed to do because we use data to help people understand that this is what's happening. Yeah. Well, it's amazing. Yeah. That's really powerful. Yeah. I really love that a lot too, you know, mm -hmm. and I can see how, how you've been so effective, mm -hmm. you know, along your way, your career and everything you've done so far. It's really amazing. 
one question that I have to follow up with that statement is uh, how would you go about marketing in today's world versus like 20 years ago? And what are some key differences, differences that you've seen and how have us as consumers of material and content has changed over time? That's a great question. I mean, <laughs> what's so funny uh, is that database marketing hasn't changed all that much from direct mail. Mm-hmm. You guys have probably moved before, and every time you move, you're like, oh, how did Lowe's know to give me 15%? <laughs> yeah. Yes. They've been buying, they buy your, you know, post, postal lists, and they understand, you know, that you guys moved, and so we'll send you some coupons for Wayfair, and, and, and so what's, what's, what I think is that change is just now accelerated, mm-hmm. and so it's, it's really about so much more data that's available to market and to connect to consumers. Mm-hmm. I would always go back and say, but the humanity in marketing is what gets lost. Like we always joke mm-hmm. about how ads follow us uh-huh. and it's so annoying that you get the same retargeted ad. And for the last 20 years when digital marketing has ramped, that still hasn't changed because I think we are creating algorithms that are just fundamentally flawed. Mm-hmm. You take the humanity out of it and you operationalize it and then it just runs. And the more it takes in the wrong data set, the stronger the algorithm gets and that it becomes the way it actually generates engagement. And so I think we have to return back to really thinking about the consumer again a little bit differently. Mm -hmm. So that, that's what I would actually focus on. I mean, quite, quite frankly, like what's, what's so interesting is, you know, we get questions like even around podcasts. It's like, well, why, why are podcast ads so effective? these days mm-hmm. instead of digital ads it's like well well if you think about it the the fact is like in order to listen to a podcast ad you actually have to be concentrated right mm-hmm. yeah. and attention should mean something to the mm-hmm. consumer yeah. and if you listen to any of the podcast ads the host reads like sometimes they'll joke around they'll make fun of the brand <laughs> and it becomes content and so it becomes a natural organic part of the show Mm-hmm. In a very similar way, we've got a really interesting format called the explainers at Vox. And oh. people love that stuff because what do you love to do at parties? Oh, let me tell you what I learned. Mm-hmm. Or did you know? And so I, I think it's uh, where what I would actually recommend is like marketing uh, is, is really understanding the consumer journey and understanding how to break through. And we've really spent way too much time on metrics that I feel are, are okay, which is like scale metrics, three second views, things that are okay, but I don't know if they actually break through. And so I, I think our models need to change. Our media mix models need to change. The way we think about things need to change. And we actually have to start creating things of value. Nice. Mm, I love it. Wow. Yeah. That's, that's really interesting stuff. Um, I'm very curious to know, you know, you, you talking about psychology and, you know, how people are eating up this content and processing it in their minds. What would you say is the most effective way that people will, you know, let's say you're looking at a, an ad on Facebook, right? And they're scrolling by 
Um, and you want them to really hone in on that content and, you know, spend an extra minute looking at the content. What would you say is the most effective way to do that? Like, would it be like a more empathetic side or would it be, you know, something that um, really has pulled on their heartstrings from something on their past? Or like, what have you seen most effective way to, to really attach or like grab someone's attention through content? I love that question because, um, it's about recognizing the context of the moment. Mm -hmm. And what's interesting is that I would say two, two, three years ago, when I was at BuzzFeed, I would say uh, what always performed best was funny mm. and emotional. Okay. Right? So it's like, oh, the, the, the video that, that you watched right before, it totally tugged on your heartstrings and it still works. And it's still okay. fantastic to connect uh, with the consumer that way. Uh, we just completed a study about what a consumer would consider a quality piece of content today um, in 2020. And uh, what those consumers actually said was something that was factual or fact-based um, helped me create perspective. Right. And helped me to understand. Right. And so it blew my mind because it told me that if you hang on to what worked five years ago or three years ago, um, it's not that it won't work, right. but it's not recognizing the moment. And yeah. if you think about why someone would want something that's factual and gives you perspective and is fact-based, think about what's happening in society right now. Yeah. Mm -hmm. we've, got, we've got polarization happening everywhere and people don't know what to believe. Should I wear a mask? Is it an impingement on my rights, et cetera, et cetera. Like so much stuff going on. And so the ability to actually create that perspective is the most important thing right now. It changed my mind, teach me something, challenge me. I think that's what the consumer is actually saying. And so that's my cop out answer to say, we don't know, but your framework has to be, well, what's the context in society right now? Right. And if you understand those larger things, then you should be able to make content that um, ends up being something that matters. Mm -hmm. What I find really uh, interesting about content creation is you've got a lot of companies saying, oh, uh, we can help you with trends and you can you know, write about this trend because that's what's peaking. Well, while that may be true, when does that end up becoming a self-fulfilling prophecy? Uh, yeah. If everybody's writing about avocado toast <laughs> and the vegetable spiralizer that makes vegetable pasta, mm -hmm. then of course it's going to become a thing because you basically created the, the you know, process right. and you're actually not understanding, well, why is avocado toast trending? You know, I'm, I'm being so 2000. And <laughs> That's really relevant. You know, I still like my avocados a lot. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. Selling for $10 at the cafe. Yeah. Right. But it's interesting, right? Because it's, it's, uh, so the understanding people is the mm -hmm. most important thing. And yeah. so, right. you know, it's not like those tools aren't helpful. They help you get the clicks. They help you get the engagement because you know what trends and, you know, you might want to cover some of those things. But if you want to be really groundbreaking, you have to move outside of that. Yeah, Definitely. yeah, yeah. So it sounds like one, it's keeping up with the times and two, really, you know, connecting with the audience, right? You really have to make that personable, natural feeling and make it 
feel non-robotic, right? Yeah. And I think that's the most important thing is to, you know, hone in on how you're gonna, going to uh, pull on those heartstrings, really. And definitely, it's the human connection itself is yeah. so important, you know? Mm -hmm. I think right now, especially given COVID, we're craving for that connection that we do like, we do feel like we belong somewhere. Mm -hmm. And for us, you know, when we started Asian Hustle Network, it was meant for a community where we felt like there wasn't enough Asians represented in any, any, anything like mainstream media, higher investment, corporate ladders. Mm -hmm. And we wanted to bring people together because we realized from our own upbringing is that Asian people tend to like not be very helpful. In terms of in terms of like helping each other, lift each other up, donations. I feel like statistically we are one of the worst at giving donations, mm -hmm. you know. And we just wanted to change that too because mm -hmm. growing up, I never real I never realized like how much a scarcity mindset I was or was a part of. You yeah, know? Like I was, I was basically taught that if I won, my friends lost. If I became successful, when I was younger, my mom said when I started winning like speech and debate. Um, tournaments and whatnot or like wrestling tournaments and my mom was taught me hey keep it down low don't tell anyone about it and I was like why and they're like oh like you're gonna create a lot of jealousy like people will not support you or they backstab you and I was like I was wondering why that was the case you know and it stemmed from like a scarcity toward a mindset that we all have and then part of our mission statement was to get rid of that you know we're like hey there's so much money out there so much opportunity out there that we can all succeed so there's no need for us to have this scarcity mindset. It needs to be more abundance to help each other out. And we're, that was our main core mission statement of building this community. And we watched it blossom. You know, We watched early day posts saying like, hey, if I had an opportunity, what would you guys do? And a lot of early posts, posters would say, why would I help you out? You're just going to steal my idea. <laughs> you know? And that's usually not the case at all. Like, it, the case is like, you should be willing to help out because it refines your idea. It gives you a new perspective. And what we learned as we went through our progression is no one can really imitate your strategy, your idea. You know, only, only you can do it. Only Edwin, only you can do what you're thinking, that what it should look like, you know? Mm -hmm. If you told me, I'll probably execute it completely different from what right. you told me. And that's, that's the main mission of, of Asian Hustle Network and just really bringing our cultural heritage together and you realize that even though Maggie's Chinese or you know someone says Japanese or Korean we each have our own quirks that we group with you know like our parents tell us basically the same thing you know and there's no need to hate each other we're all one big family let's help each other out and that's what we want to do you know and right. just, just your 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 story throughout the entire podcast and listening to you know your previous previous speeches especially the one with the you know, the Asian identity one, it tugs into our heartstrings too. And we were like, wait a minute, this person talking has a Muslim background or this person talking has a so-and-so background, but it's all similar with our yeah. personal experiences, you know? Yeah. So leading up to the last question of our podcast, what sort of tips and advice would you give someone just enter entering to your industry? Mm -hmm. Asians are brought up generally to defer and so i think over indexing on not being who you were brought up to be is, is going to be a very helpful uh piece of advice right. i would also ask that you ask for mentors mm -hmm. we 
are taught to do things on our own and to hustle on our own and mm -hmm. um, to find someone that you respect and it doesn't matter what the race is um, and just go and get that mentor. Mm -hmm. um, and hopefully it's an older Asian person that is willing to really take the, the time to, to help and really guide this person. And so I would say, um, don't, def don't you know, speak up and, and really push and have a voice and then go get a mentor. And, mm -hmm. and, and I know there are plenty of people that would be willing to take on folks to help and, and give career advice and even talk about times that they've messed up. There's so many things I would tell people that I spend lots of time with, just don't do this because it will <laughs> probably not serve you that well if you did this, because that was a mistake I made. And so that, that's what I would actually tell a young person entering into my field right now. Yeah, Definitely. love it. Um, thank you so much for giving those two tips uh, based on your experiences. I do feel like there is this misconception um, that people, you know, they don't want to find a mentor because they want to make it on their own, mm -hmm. right? But I think it shows a sense of strength that you, you are looking for mentorship um, and it shows that, you know, you might not know everything, um, and there might be something that other people uh, knows that that could really trickle down to your knowledge as well. So thank you for those two tips. Yeah, um, yeah I mean, we're at the top of the hour, so it's Ooh. been an hour has flew by so fast. Um, we would love for ourselves and our, our listeners to learn more about you. So how can our listeners hear and learn more about you on social media or anywhere? Uh, you can connect with me on LinkedIn. Okay. So look me up, Edwin Wong at Vox, V-O-X. Uh, um, and then you can just look at some of the work that we've done uh, as a group. I never want to take uh, credit for the fine work my group has done, but mm -hmm. if you just do Edwin Wong at Vox in a Google search, there's a couple of things that we've just recently done that I'm pretty proud of. So um, let me know how, how we can connect. And uh, thanks for having me, guys. Awesome. Yeah, thank you so much for your time. Yeah, thanks so much, Edwin. Hey guys, we hope you enjoyed this episode. Please subscribe to the show. We would like to get to the top 10 on iTunes, so be sure to leave us a five-star review. We release an episode every single Wednesday, so stay tuned. Thank you guys so much.